Today's reading is Revelation 7, verses 9 to 17. It can be found on page 1142 of the Bible's next year seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks, and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center before the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? God of grace, as we come into this space, we come carrying different weights and burdens and um, issues in our life. And uh, we've come from different contexts, different kinds of experiences in our journey. And uh, so whether we come with great doubt or great faith, whether we come thanking you because of a sense of prayers that have been answered in our life, or whether we, uh, we come with maybe angry at you, or a sense of losing a faith that once seemed so real. Or maybe we come and we realize as we sit here that we're only here out of a sense of religious guilt. And there's a sense in our hearts that there should be a better way, should be a different kind of approach to knowing you and being uh, spiritually connected to you. So from all these different places, would you meet us now and speak to us in a way that we know we've heard your voice? Because the truth is we all stand before you in a, in a universal way as people whose lives are more of a mess than we want other people to know. We don't, we don't want others here to know how broken and frail and fragmented we are or have felt some night this week at 11 o'clock or midnight or 2 a.m. But... That's us, a mess, fragmented, lonely, hurt. And would you help us also to know that even though our lives are a mess, that you move towards broken and messy lives with your grace. And so we can say we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined. Would you help us to know that and speak to us through that grace right now? In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> have you ever been in a crowd of people that's just so big you can't count? 
you know, an innumerable amount of people. You know, I went to a high school that was, uh, there was 250 people in the entire high school. Um, and this was in what I say, I grew up in a small Midwestern town in the middle of California. And so that was my high school. That was the whole high school, 250 people. And then I went to a small Midwestern town in Iowa to go to school uh, after that, to go to college. And there, the number really spiked up in terms of how many people were at that school. You, you had to add a whole zero and then divide by two. It was a little over 1,000 people, if, you, if you're not that fast at math. A little over 1,000 people, huge crowd, you know. It was definitely a crowd you could count at this school. And then, so I found it to be a real blessing of my seminary years that when I got to do an internship and had to kind of apply to these different places, that I got accepted at this internship where uh, my wife Lisa and I, we didn't have kids yet, we got to live in a loft apartment in the South Loop in Chicago for three months. And the job I had wasn't super strenuous, and a lot of it was charted out and planned out for me. And so we got to just, we got to be right there in the heart of the big city, and it spoke to both of us in a way that nothing yet had. And we, we got to do all these things. So we, would, we were right there, we gave up cars for that summer, and we just went everywhere, public transportation. And so when there was this um, 4th of July fireworks show over, over Lake Michigan, and everyone was going to it, we said, we're going. And so that night, 4th of July, 2000, I think it was, um, we went out into this crowd that I could not count. There were so many people. And the next day, the newspaper said a million people came out to Grant Park, Buckingham Fountain, that whole area by the museums and everything. Now, if you, if you go there now, there's Millennium Park on the north end of all that. That wasn't even there. But there was a million people stretched out, and it was a sea of people. It was like, and for me, some people, they'd panic. For me, that was... That was vibrant. That was lively. That was amazing. We were shoulder to shoulder, walking around in the dark, finding our way. You could see the whole skyline and everything right there, and then the fireworks were going to start off to our right. And at one point, we're making our way through this thick crowd of people, everyone just kind of moving and jostling. You can't see more than three or four people away from you. Where all of a sudden, I stopped, and the person who was right in front of me stopped, and we looked at each other, and I said, hi, Jeremy Youngsma. And he said, hi, Mark Holland. And we just stood there wondering, what on earth does this mean? It was a guy from that huge college of 1,000 people that I went to in Iowa. And we recognized each other, and we just stood there, not even knowing what to say. Like, what, how, do you, how do you catch up with someone in the middle of all this that you haven't talked to in years? And, you're, and we're just, just in shock. A million people, and that's when we're going to run into someone we know from the college years. Another cool thing that happened on that um, summer is I got to take these young students who were um, getting a leadership development kind of exper experience this summer, and I was leading them. Um, and so one of the things we did is we go to all these different cool things that are, exist in Chicago with respect to church and the city. And so we actually went to a worship service at a church south of the Loop. Um, so we took public transportation, kind of found our way, and none of us had been there before. And we walk into this church that um, is our basically the home congregation of our current president of the United States. So we walk into this, we walk into Barack Obama's church, we didn't even know who that was at the time, and we suddenly realize that, I mean, this was for me, I was leading them, but I hadn't been there before either, and I'm just following the itinerary that this, this pastor, my 
my mentor has told us to all go do. And so we walk in and we realize we are, I think, pretty sure we were the only white people in a sea of hundreds and hundreds of African-Americans going to church that morning. I just, we just felt like, I think, and for all of us, I knew the kids and their stories, these people we were taking along, and I think all of us, almost all of our life, felt pretty much like we were in majority culture. We were part of the majority, and suddenly we were standing there, and we felt like the minority, and that felt very, very strange and self-conscious. Um, we got a passage here today where the Apostle John has a vision. And in his vision, he's walking around and he's having these experiences, and he, he gets to a crowd of innumerable people. And he has that same kind of moment where not only is it this incredibly huge crowd that no one can count, but they're, they're not all of the same race. And he feels like an ethnic minority as he stands there. And the phrase that the Bible says here is, Uh, After this I looked up and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Every nation, tribe, people, and nation. And that's that's like a mantra actually throughout the book of Revelation. It comes up about five or six times. So the Apostle John is given this vision and what it is is it's the... It's a pretty big, critical piece of the Christian vision. It's the big, it's, it's, basically it's this. It's, if you want to have vision in life, if you want to have a way of seeing things spiritually, this is the broadest possible vision that you can have. Every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, and they're all singing together in harmony. So, if this is the heavenly vision, what are we supposed to take from it? I mean, it goes on to say they were wearing white robes and they were holding palm branches in their hands. I mean, one thing you could say is, oh, maybe, it, maybe you know, the takeaway is that we just, you know, if you want to be with God someday, you might as well get used to wearing robes and holding palm branches because someday you're going to have to do that. You know, that would be one thing you could take away. And I don't know about you, I don't wear robes very often, so that would be a bit of a challenge. I'm not a robe wearer. Some of you... Can spot you. Some of you wear wear robes, don't you? Those those fancy bath robes. Some of you love, but I don't wear robes, and I don't hold palm branches very often. Maybe that's what it's saying. No, of course not. It's basically there's there's a takeaway in this that if you if you picture yourself being with God someday, you might as well get used to being with people who are very different from you right now. In to the to the degree, not just that maybe you have an experience like you know like I was forced basically to go to a church where I was the ethnic minority and you know, had that one little experience. Not like that necessarily, but in a sense that you get used to the, um, the inconvenience of that on some kind of regular basis. And the, um, the way that you'll feel uncomfortable um, if that begins to be part of your experience in this world now, in a sense, just because you have this big vision that comes from the Bible, this broad vision. Um, it doesn't go very well often when people uh, try to connect and work together with people who are very, very different from them. We don't handle those inconveniences and uncomfortable things very well. You know, the caricature of, of someone in this kind of situation is that, well, you know, someone can't understand you, just speak your language louder, right? Right? That's the, often the joke. And in a sense, historically, that's often 
what happens. And language is a very valuable cultural thing so that it's insightful at, at different points in history when language is dealt with in a pretty meaningful and significant way, like when the United States at one point had a kind of a quiet policy, but it was a policy that they were trying to get the Navajo Indians to not speak Navajo anymore because there were a lot of problems being created between you know, this growing United States and this group of Navajo natives. And so the children were sent to boarding schools in, in, in the hopes of being English-speaking churchgoers. That's an interesting approach, isn't it? Like, so we're having a hard time getting along, so why don't you ditch your language and learn mine, and then we'll start to, it'll start to work, right? And language is so central to culture. And, and basically, if you're a student of the Bible and you follow kind of the big story of Scripture, you see a pretty substantial case against this coming out from a pretty critical time in the drama of the Bible. At this point, after Jesus has died and then risen from the dead and then ascended, and his followers are kind of standing around and meeting and praying and wondering what to do, what's next, and waiting for who knows what to happen to help them know what's next. What happened was that they were at this time in Jerusalem when people from all over the world had shown up. All over the known world had come because of a religious festival, and they're all there. They're all around. And there's crowds and crowds of people from all over the world And so what happens is, very significant, what happens is that's when God decides to act. That's when God decides to speak. And he doesn't doesn't make it so that all those people from all over the world can understand, you know, Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic or something like that. He makes it so that the Jesus people, the people who Jesus had kind of handed off the mission to, that they were speaking the languages of all those people so that everyone heard about Jesus' death and resurrection in their own cultural tongue. Now that's an important little piece of information. Because language is so central to who we are, so central to culture, that there's a huge, huge validation of cultural diversity right there in how that played out. People's languages, people's differences, people's cultural lifestyles validated and held on to as something beautiful. That's, that's, the broad, that's the broad vision of the New Testament. And so you kind of have to ask yourself, and those are just a couple of glimpses, you know, Revelation chapter 7, Acts chapter 2, those are just a couple of glimpses of where this broad vision of a big kind of reconciliation comes from. And so you ask yourself, how's your vision? How's my vision? How's my vision compared to that? Is that something through which I look at the world right now? I met somebody when I was at that small college in Iowa, and I was in a class on, I think, uh, church outreach or something, something related to theology in the church. And um, the professor brought in a guest speaker who was just an average-looking Caucasian Iowan man in his 50s. And, it, you know, you just kind of don't know what this guy's in the classroom to talk about. And just, okay, what's, what's this? Doesn't look too interesting today. And this man basically described to us his journey from just being a pretty, you know, living a pretty normal Midwestern life to, um, I think it started with bringing a meal through something his church was doing to some family um, 
And then it evolved into him spending more and more time in a town where people thought of this town as is European-American, this town is Caucasian, this town has all this Dutch and German and um, you know, Norwegian heritage. But all around that town, in places that people didn't always go, were these communities of people who were from all kinds of different backgrounds. And there were jobs for them in the area, and so they were scooping up those jobs, and they were living in community around it. But people just didn't drive there or go there and know about it. But this man happened to, and so when he did, he met these people, and he started forming a relationship. And all of a sudden, he tells us basically he began to learn over the course of just a few years, he began to learn two Asian languages. Uh, I think it was Hmong and Vietnamese. So this ho-hum, 50-something Iowan man just begins to learn their languages, spend time, build relationships, have community with people kind of on the other side of the tracks because he just had this broad Christian vision, and all of a sudden it was time for that vision to play out. And, you know, I think the tendency is to say, well, that's just certain types of Christians, that's certain types of people that, that do that or feel called to that, that's not me. But the Bible makes it seem like this is our vision, this is us, this is all of us. And so I get excited when I see examples of it. And some of you know Ryan... Johnson and Karen Johnson, who are in China now. And I find that to be interesting, their story of two people who grew up in the same region of Minnesota. At some point in their life, um, they both sensed that their life direction as, as young Christian people, their direction of their life is to go across the world to China and devote their lives to people um, in a way that they're going to give themselves and give up a whole bunch of things and conveniences and comforts, and they're going to go to this place and learn language and learn culture and devote their lives to giving themselves for other people of a culture that's not theirs originally. And, and so that's stunning to me. That's, that's this vision that's coming out of the Bible, and that's kind of stunning to me. But then also that when you talk to them, at one point I, I was talking to Ryan about this when they, they actually both went to this church until a couple, two, maybe three years ago. And um, talking to Ryan about how his time that he had already spent in China, getting to know the language, getting to know the culture, how he was seeing in China these different ethnic groups and ethnic differences and what do you know, but to me, you know, naive, never even imagined this, but in, in China, you know, it's not just all Chinese people, but there's these dif- distinctions, and what do you know, but there's racism and discrimination going on in very in accepted ways in all these places in China. And he says, you know, I feel called, I feel like drawn to that, and to help some of these new churches in China kind of catch a vision for saying, uh, kind of reversing that and reconciling and working on that as not being okay. And that's broad vision. That's really broad. And I, uh, I think back to someone else who um, I met just in fluke circumstances, but I learned a lot about his story, and he was a minister of a new church, so we had some things in common because I was just about starting City Life Church, and he had started a church in Tokyo, Japan. And he wasn't from Japan. I forget if he was from Southeast Asia or China or Korea. I forget exactly where he was from. But he started a church in Tokyo. And, um, and it's really, it was really, really hard. Their, 
there was um, fewer people. He had been doing it for like 15, 20 years, and there were fewer people coming than what, what we have here after all that time and work. Um, and he, but what he did every year, he did something really incredible and that just was brand new to me. Every year he would organize a trip, and he would take people from um, all different backgrounds, so some Chinese people, some Korean people, some Japanese people, and people from other places in, in, far, in the Far East, and he would take them all on a trip together, and they would eat meals together, and they would go visit the different countries together. So they'd go up to Korea, and then they'd go over to China, and then they'd go to Japan, and I think they would go to some other places. And, and he called them reconciliation trips in which he took people from all these different places, again, very new to me, who had all these fixed um, caricatures of the other cultures that were big, giant boundaries that kept them apart. And he basically said, we're all, and basically what he's saying is, we're all going to be here someday in God's presence singing the same song. So let's start to get a feel for that right now. That's a broad, broad, broad vision creates a lot of uncomfortable things. It means giving a lot of things up. And I've got to be honest that as I, I don't know that I've ever had as much trepidation talking about something as I have this, this week, because I just had to kind of look at my own isolated life of a lot of sameness and a lot of not taking on uh, uncomfortable, inconvenient things to be around the same old people all the time. I was thinking a lot about it. And I thought, well, you know, it starts with vision and where our vision starts to take us into action. And I thought about how this, in this city, you might drive, like this week maybe or some other week coming up. You might happen to be driving or riding your bike down J Street and you might uh, see a sea of people in front of the Memorial Auditorium right there around like uh, 15, 14th, 15th Street. And... They're from all over the world, and they've just come out of the Memorial Auditorium for some kind of um, citizenship ceremony. And I think at that moment, as you see something like that in the city or where maybe somewhere else that you are, what kind of vision do you have at that moment as you see something like that? I mean, I think a lot of us culturally were taught to think politics or policy or you know, immigration reform and where you stand on this or that, and to be annoyed one way or the other about those, the thoughts you have about an article you read and legislation coming down the pike. No, 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 no. How's your vision? How's your broad, God, godly vision? And I don't know about you, but can you think of a neighbor you have? Maybe go smaller scale. Think of a neighbor you have whose first language is in English. Is that, I mean, does anybody else have, I can think of, and, and maybe, or maybe at work, or maybe someone you just run into a lot, and maybe they're, they dress in ways that are a little bit strange, or um, something about their day-to-day behavior that's a little bit strange to you. You know, maybe they wear socks with their sandals, you know, or something you would never do. I don't know. But maybe just something little. Or maybe how they discipline their kids and you say, like, oh, how could they? That's, I don't understand. How could that be how they talk to their children? I don't know. How's your vision? How's your vision? Because I think this passage leaves an interesting place, and I, I, I really am now just wrapping up. 
Um, but there are three things that um, I want to point out. Because this moves from mere description of the language and the nation and the tribe, people from all these places. And then there's like, it ends with a bit of a song, a hymn of some sort, that the angel is speaking to John. Um, and this is, what, uh, this is what is said in verse, so you got something from verse 14. This is what is said uh, before, I'm sorry, before that song part. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Um, well, one takeaway is that as you have this vision, as you look out, one thing for sure to think about and to have at the center of your faith is that the uniting factor, the commonality, is that none of us get to God on our own. We all need what is alluded to here is the grace of God that washes all of us. And in a sense, if you just have this at the center, I mean, basically, this is a huge point, a huge mention of, you know, robes made white from the blood of the Lamb. This is the, what we talk about is the gospel. This is the core of what makes Christianity different from everything else, is that your approach to God is not uh, achieved and your connection with God is not achieved by your behavior. Your acceptance doesn't come because you obeyed. You obey because you've been accepted, because you've been washed. So these robes that they're wearing that are white are not, they, they didn't, wash them themselves, and they all happen to get it the same color. They've all been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, that's the great leveler, and that's a sort of standard, just run-of-the-mill biblical theme that you need to know as you engage with people who are very different from you. You need to have this leveling effect and, and, and um, principle, really, of how we all become right with God, what makes us right with God. And then there's a couple of mentions in verse 17 of this, this kind of song at the end. For the lamb at the center before the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. So there's a shepherd and there's water. And basically, if there's a shepherd, that means we're in the same flock together. That means that vision isn't just, it's not just a matter of whether or not you'll, you'll, you'll live and think about this vision and apply it. It's already true. Really, you really are already together with all kinds of people that are different from you because you're all connected through this shepherd. In some ways, God's probably looking at it going, I wish you'd just see this. I wish you'd see that it's already true. I mean, it's, just, it, it's, it's a fact. That's how I see it. And then there's the water part. We're all drinking from the same drinking fountain. Um, and I think about, as we're in Black History Month, the powerful photo of of drinking fountains in the south that say, you know, whites only. And then this one over here that's a little smaller that's sort of off to the side of the other one says there's a big label colored over it. And there's a sense in which if you believe you're in the same flock and if you believe you're all drinking from the same water, spiritually speaking, then you're going to be very sensitive to access and ways in which as you maybe step out a little bit into relationship with people, you're going to be sensitive to um, ways in which maybe you have access to things um, that others in the group, your group, others in your group don't have that same access. You might see it in 
Um, I'm not even going to try to list. You might see it in all kinds of ways in this city. So here's something to think about. This is the season of Lent starting Wednesday. Will you think about praying for one person? Someone you thought of, maybe when I was saying, think of one person on your street or someone you encounter at work. Someone who uh, you maybe haven't been thinking of as in the same flock, in the same group, our group. And, uh, and will you pray for them? So maybe sort of a twofold prayer. Every day, maybe throughout Lent, maybe a 40-day thing. You're going to pray for someone, and you're just going to pray for their welfare. And then also, probably more importantly, you're going to pray for your own vision, your own heart, that uh, you would uh, embody this vision now and take on discomfort and inconvenience. And then don't even try to do anything amazing. You know, like sometimes we think, well, I'm going to... If I'm praying for this, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> you know, I'm going to connect and make it. How about just pray for a while and see what you feel led to do? Maybe see what becomes abundantly clear about how to connect more with someone on your block or at work. Maybe write that name down. Maybe you know, that's how you need to write that name down now, today, on a little piece of paper. And, and have that in front of you and think about that as you go home today. So I'm doing it, by the way. I'm going to practice what I preach. I've, I've got a name. I've got someone down the road who I'm going to pray for. Um, and I think even if, you know, even if you're not by, if, even if you don't know, you say, I don't know if I'm actually in this flock yet or this shepherd. I don't know if I'm there yet. This could even be the best experience to do. The idea that in maybe trying to connect more with somebody it's really hard, that's really hard to connect with, you might begin to get a picture as you pray for someone, someone's welfare. You get a sense of the amount of barriers and the difficulty that God undertook to connect with you. So even in this little experiment of prayer, you might start to, the gospel might start to come alive for you in a way that makes you realize how much you didn't even know you are a part of this flock because of God's grace and how incredible it is and how much he's overcome to reconnect and reconcile with you. So will you pray with me? God of grace, Help us. I've prayed throughout this series that you would create stories of transformation and reconciliation out of um, just the fact that you've led us to deal with this topic. Thank you for being here today and speaking to us and for speaking to me this week. And I pray that as we move to a new place next week, that you would open doors in relationships. Um, we're part of the flock, the group of crazy people who pray kinds, these kinds of prayers. We pray to you that you would make us more diverse. We ask that we might, as a group, look more like what heaven looks like right now and that we would be respectful listeners of those who everyone else talks over, and that we would find ways to connect with those who, whose names you already know and who you are already connecting with. We pray this, and we ask for your help, the help of your Holy Spirit, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.